This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome everyone and welcome to our guests. I have joining me today Caroline Passmore, Sarah Babb and Paolo Juristic, all seasoned organizational development consultants, each of them sharing their expertise and perspectives gained over more than 20 years respectively. Today we begin our conversation uh, not only with a little bit of an introduction to each of you, but the reason for this conversation, which is really helping us to paint a picture of what this new world of work that we're emerging into actually means looking at what organizations are currently struggling with or you know where the challenges are where the success stories lie and just basically how we're making this work for us so welcome caroline sarah and paolo caroline i'll start with you just with a brief introduction and to yourself and the work that you do thank you karen it's lovely to be here with um the three of you today I am an executive coach and facilitator, have been facilitating for most of my career, close on 20 years now. And before that, I worked in financial services, actually in finance and investments. So I took a massive career change when I moved into the world of facilitation. And uh, for the last 20 20 odd years, uh, working with executive teams across a broad range of industries, predominantly on the strategy side, looking at how do we a craft strategy and develop strategy for the organizations. But then more importantly, that led to how do we execute on strategy? Because it's one thing to put a plan together. It's a completely different thing to execute on that. And then, of course, you need people to do that. So my interest shifted to the people involved. And um, over the last number of years, I've been working predominantly with leaders and their teams in how to become better, how to focus on high performance, how to execute on the strategies that they put onto paper. Um, And yeah, something I'm deeply passionate about working with teams and with the executives in terms of improving their efficiencies and performance. Fantastic. Thanks, Caroline. Sarah, yourself? Yes, hi, and thanks for having us and for having this conversation. I think it's so important and definitely speaks to my focus, which is a real yearning for us to find a future, both in organizations and our communities and our societies that can be actually more inclusive and more secure, not stable, but secure. How do we find a new way of organizing our economies, our societies, our organizations, and our people. So for me, people are at the center, and I'm seeing such important shifts and challenges of how do we equip ourselves to work in this new future that can actually be about a sustainable place for people and the planet. So that's me in a nutshell. So it's working with with essentially organizations and so let me say neighborhoods um, around change and future cultures and ways of being. Fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. And lastly, Paolo. I was going to say the thorn amongst the roses, but I think in our our gender equality-based world, I'm not sure if we're allowed to say that anymore. 
<laughs> Thanks, Karen, and, and thank you for, for inviting me. It's great to be here. So, uh, yes, as Karen said, I'm Paolo Jurisic. I'm an OD consultant, um, and I didn't start my life this way. I started my life as, as, a, as a qualified chartered accountant and very quickly realized that people were at the center of success in performance in the workplace. And so actually I've spent most of my career working with teams and leaders um, to optimize performance in the workplace. And what I do, I think is bring a very unique skill set um, because I am very commercial in my outlook um, in relation to people. And I think that's often the missing piece um, that we see in organizations. It's either one or the other. And so I've spent most of my work um, doing that. Um, I do have a, um, a slight um, pension for financial services, but work also across um, most industries. Thank you, Karen. Fantastic. Thank you. So just looking at, you know, currently the work that um, all of you have been involved in and just where the world currently is, you know, we're, we're kind of emerging out of out of the pandemic. We've gone into, you know, massive conflict situations. If you look at Ukraine and we're kind of, you know, there's recessions kind of looming ahead. Uh, where are organizations at present? How are they evolving? You know, at the same time, we've got a, a great value shift coming in from people that are, are really wanting to be seen and heard and, and held by these organizations. How are we starting to balance this? What are some of the challenges that organizations are facing? And what are they doing as a result of this to move beyond that? Sarah, I'll start with you just for comment on that. Yes, I think you put it well, and that there's um, definitely a transition I'm seeing with organizations I'm working with. And I think what happened during the pandemic is there was a shift to what market are we in, where, where are our customers going, where do we, how do we organize to manage this remote working? And I think that settled um, to some extent by the end of last year, even early this year, where there was a sense of, all right, now we, uh, we, we settled in our new structures, we've got maybe fewer people, more of a... Um, global reach or cross-border customer stretch using digital transformation for that. Um, and I think many people were connecting with how can we be more um, inclusive and empathetic leaders and focusing on a bigger purpose. Then, with now we hear of the fifth wave um, looming, um, the, as you say, the war in, in Ukraine, inflation, recession. I'm seeing actually quite a a, a ramp up to refocus on are our results, how do we sustain results for fewer people, um, how do we attract talent so that we can be continually innovating and reaching new markets. So um, I'm seeing people in teams really feeling that tension between how do we both hold the purpose and um, be be achieving these tough targets because now we've got results back on the front of our mind as the primary objective and i'm really seeing people struggle with that with the transition back to hybrid working back to the office um and where i think some people were expecting a relief in all right we settled we can refocus hybrid will bring us connecting again um, I'm seeing a, a real tension with with many leadership teams, and, and maybe some of the emerging market tensions that I'm, that we're seeing, but not so much a threat of um, what. How will we be impacted? Obviously, the oil price and inflation is going to be coming more and more, but. 
but how do we how do we keep our people sustained because we're still confronted with such uh, burnout and stress with the mass resignation uh, indicative of this. So, um, yes, I think mixed feelings and it's a both and, obviously, but that's that's what I'm seeing at this stage. Paolo, just with your, um, you know, finance hat on and, and this tension that Sarah is mentioning, you know, organisations want to strive for purpose. Obviously, it's key to attracting and retaining talent, etc. But at the same time, we can't drive purpose at the expense of profit. How are you seeing them, you know, manage this tension? So that's a very interesting question. You know, what, what I'm finding is pe people are not even yet ready to have that conversation. People are still um, still stuck in the, the conversations around the pandemic, around hybrid working. Um, th this this conflict that's, that's arising uh, due to the war in U Ukraine is something that people are really, I'm noticing, are, are almost putting in a corner to still deal with what has to be dealt with because there's so much coming out of the pandemic that hasn't yet been done. So I almost feel like people have got their heads in the sand at the moment and and almost not even there yet to have the, in, the intellectual capacity to have that discussion at, at a cognitive level, let alone at an emotional level and how this is all going to play out. I think you're spot on there. I think we just don't have the emotional, you know, reserves to, to even begin to start processing what we've been through. We're not we're not far enough out of the pandemic to to really begin processing just how much the world has shifted and how much we as individuals have changed. Caroline, what's your view and what is your experience in working with the organizations you do? Thanks, Karen. I'm actually having a little bit of a smile to myself because I can resonate with what some of Sarah has said and um, most certainly what Paolo has said. I definitely think that there is a massive focus on results at an organisational level. It's uh, There's this constant drive to achieve more with less under the circumstances. And what I'm seeing is that organisations under this pressure are trying to stick with what they know, um, the recipes that have worked in the past, but they also know that they need to transform. And that transformation is a, a sticky, ugly process. So they're really battling with that transformation, battling to transform their people, battling tr to transform um, towards what their, their, their customers need, transform their products. And that transition is uh, a very, uh, unpleasant process and that is where I see a lot of undoing at the moment in um, some of the clients that I'm working with. Carolina, I resonate with that because you know when you think about the fact that you know people became more productive in inverted commas during the pandemic um, purely because they really had nothing else to do and there was an expectation like the sustainability here comes into question of yeah. a lot of the practices mm -hmm. that that became the new normal and it's almost quite difficult to unravel that but but people are at the center of this mm. and people are unraveling in ways that is concerning yeah yeah absolutely that's uh, that seems to be a key trend that i'm experiencing um 
and yeah it's, it's actually quite frightening because uh, there's so much pressure from the top from shareholders from executives and leaders alike um with a little bit of uh, that, that incapacity uh, from the people on the ground to be able to deliver to those expectations and then lies the you know lies the the tension that needs to be resolved and you know you talk about downsizing specifically you know there was a lot of that obviously on the onset of the pandemic and a lot of the the teams have not resourced up again because they were seen to be more nimble and more productive and you know we didn't really need all these people but the human cost has not been taken into account and that and that really worries me in a lot of organizations that i see absolutely and and we're picking this up in in really the amount of burnout that is currently being reported right sarah you you wrote an article recently as well um, just discussing the inertia that organizations are under. And I think people are experiencing almost that same sense of inertia. We we just don't know which way to go almost. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to the people conversations, what, what really has struck me actually over the last two months is um, some questions about how do we work with people better? And, I, and that has invited in, I think, quite useful consideration, that deeper consideration of what does diversity and inclusion really mean? So how do we really work better with the people that we have? And and I'm encouraged by that because it's not, you know, in the past, a conversation that may have been driven by compliance or, um, you know, the, uh, the aesthetics of an organization or the optics of an organization, but more so how do we engage with people really in terms of what they can bring or can't bring? And that... Um, and that to me is encouraging because it's we are seeing so much um, so much more engagement and vocal um, movements around um, what what diversity means across the spectrum. And I'm quite in, um, I'm quite pleased by that. But yes, when it becomes a conversation of how can we eke every bit of bit out of you, then it is stretching the conversation a bit. But with a more of a global um, workforce and much more of a mobile global global workforce that I think people, organizations are grappling with um, when we have people, um, first of all, how do I how do I attract talent? Um, because it is just so competitive um, and talent is moving, I think, a lot quicker um, than before. There's the question of um, how, when people are here, how do we how do we really engage, make people feel included, but to be innovative and to be effective in how we work as teams, and I, I, I think that's one side of the spectrum that I, I see a positive move, but yes, the the um, the other end is this is not sustainable for many people and many teams, and I'm. Part of the conversation is so. Where are we beginning to look at our operating models differently, and um, so that we can not just add people, but add it in a way that actually makes more sense for sustainability. And that becomes a bigger conversation of shared value, you know, because we're not organisations are not isolated from from the the context that they're in. So I, I think we, if we could keep the conversations alive around stretching into what does it mean for the business operating model we can also then be talking about so how does this business um, entire value chain work in terms of its um, 
contribution to the to the uh, society and economy. Even the financial services, Caroline and Paolo have mentioned that um, you know that that's an area they really work with. There's a lot more pressure, I think, for, on the boards, on the investments, on where the focus is, um, even the conversations. I was talking to a, a client who's in um, essentially a global uh, SaaS uh, software as a service development organization. And they were saying their first market is the US. They're based in Cape Town. Their biggest market is the US. The second biggest market is Russia. And this becomes a, an ethical and moral question. So it's the essential for the organization's sustainability to keep that market. But, of course, do they even want to operate there? So to me, that's that's part of the conversation about um, we find a global structure, we work well, people are pressurized, but but actually where do we, um, how do we operate in a way that can be um, sustainable becomes a bigger question. So that to me was really um really quite telling. Even another organization I was with uh, yesterday who's doing an audit and one of their key clients, they have big operating structures in, in Russia. Um, so I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that actually we could be, if we ho holding a space for bigger conversations about what does this mean for the bigger operations of organizations, and I'm quite encouraged, and what does it mean to how do we work with people in a way that is inclusive and sustainable. But at the moment, I think we're at that pivot point and something may need to give to keep that pressure going to to slide towards a, a more sustainable organizational future. Absolutely. And just in terms of that, you know, you speak about holding space for these conversations. Ultimately, in that space is created at, at the leadership layer essentially, or for anything to really filter down it, it has to be embraced at that level. Caroline, with the work you're doing specifically with executives and, and leadership teams within organizations, what are some of the challenges to this? What are some of the conversations that they're having about these shifts? Sure, there are so many, um, Karen, and it's a bit of a mixed bag depending on which client you're speaking to. But uh, what I'm starting to see is a greater degree of employee activism. So uh, the, the people in the organizations are becoming far more vocal, far more outspoken, challenging the executives on many levels. Um, and le leadership are battling to manage this active employee voice. It's not a bad thing. Um, it's important that our employees do have a voice for many, many reasons. But our leaders need to be equipped to manage that better. Um, and you can't stifle that. Uh, you know, if if the voice is proactive, pro-social, looking to build the organization and focused on the human-centered side of what they need, um, it can be a, pro a very productive and proactive conversation. Uh, rather than stifling that, leaders need to know how to embrace it and how to tackle that conversation. And then uh, something that I'm also starting to see is, um, you know, it's a it's a little bit of a trend that I'm seeing, and again in a in a mixed uh, in mixed doses. But I'm starting to see how some leaders over the course of the last two years um, are battling with social awareness and a lack of emotional intelligence, and particularly empathy. So I think empathy was heightened at the start of the pandemic. But 
um, talking to people over a screen somehow seems to have impacted the way in which leaders approach conversations from an emotionally intelligent perspective. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that I recently saw um, another talk by a professor at one of the universities overseas who mentioned this as well, that there seems to be an overall decline in empathy. And I'm definitely starting to see some of that. Leaders who've, who I've worked with for a number of years tackling conversations um, in a, a, not necessarily an inappropriate way, but not in an optimal way. So I think that that is one of the biggest challenges that we have. Um, and that, of course, coupled with a, a greater employee voice is potentially, um, a, a, you know, it's a potentially a dangerous zone where employees are looking for greater respect, greater empathy, and leaders are not necessarily offering that. Um, and so with that, definitely, an absence of some of the more difficult conversations that need to be had um, at an executive level um, and in teams. So I think if we could resolve some of that, we would be better positioned to tackle some of the other challenges that we've spoken about this morning. And I think sometimes we, well, not sometimes, but I mean, the role of leadership is to, is to lead and kind of, you know, set that tone or set the course, but we also need to have a bit of empathy for leaders. They're also navigating this unknown world and the pressure on them must be immense. And we were leading in worlds that there is no playbook anymore. And they're also struggling with burnout. They're also tired. They also have been through this, this collective trauma. And yet we're still facing, you know, putting another layer of expectations on them, which they might just be too burnt out to rise to that challenge. And I think one of the, you know, just bringing it back to to the war in Ukraine, I mean, there's nothing positive about that. But the only single element that has served as some point of inspiration is really the, the deliverance of Vladimir Zelensky, who just in terms of embodying the concept of leadership and the commitment to purpose, he's really served as a source of inspiration, almost a demonstration of living your purpose. So if I had to choose a you know, somebody that really shows shows to us what leadership in this day and age needs to look like. He would, for me, stand out. And Caroline, given your work with at that executive layer, I'd love to hear your views on his leadership style. And is this something that could be successfully applied in in organisations? Yeah, absolutely, Karen. I mean, I think he's been exceptional over the last couple of weeks, and there's a lot that we can learn from him. Um, particularly in terms of vulnerability. You know, I think one of the things leaders generally battle with is they assume that vulnerability is taboo when you're in a role of leadership. And I know that there's a lot of discussion around this and it's becoming more normalized. But people, leaders that I work with really battle with that. They really battle to be vulnerable in front of their people. And so I totally agree with you that, you know, we need to have empathy for leaders as well. And they are... Uh, leading in a new normal, and that comes with pressures that we've never experienced before. But we need people to be more compassionate, more self-compassionate first and foremost, um, to understand their uh, weaknesses, to understand where they are vulnerable, and to talk to their people about that vulnerability, because that gives people 
the opportunity in turn to speak of theirs. It changes the nature of the conversation. So I think what Zelensky has done is shown us what it means to be vulnerable, but also what it means to speak from the heart and be courageous at the same time. Vulnerability is not the absence of courage. You know, as Brene Brown says, it's just the other side of the coin. And so we can be both courageous and vulnerable at the same time. And I think he's he's demonstrated that um, expertly. Um, what I love about him, he's in uh, the trenches with his troops. He's humble, he's relatable. He's a leader who doesn't shirk his responsibility uh, when offered exile or to be um, evacuated to the US, he stayed with his mm. people. He's shown that he's caring and that he has an incredible amount of resolve at a time of crisis. And I think that those are all lessons that we can take from him and say, well, how do we how do we work with that within our teams? So, I mean, I think that in a nutshell, are some of the lessons that we can learn from him. But I think if one really had to explore him as a man and as a leader, I think that there would be a number of other lessons that we could learn as well. But for me, what we are needing in a workplace is compassion, because I think compassion leads to empathy. Um, and so this deep compassion that we are seeing from the world as a whole towards the Ukraine, you know, that is something we can take a leaf out of that book and say, well, how do we apply that in our organizations? What are the lessons that we can learn from that? Because I think if we go back to the roots of some of the things that have been around for many, many years, the basis of emotional intelligence, we would be having very different conversations. And I think those conversations are absolutely essential. Absolutely. Paolo, just, um, you know, coming in on that and this need to drive compassion and empathy and from a, a again, you know, more of a financial perspective and, and typically in, you know, in any management textbook, your old textbook, you will find that those those kind of skills and, and displaying those, you know, displaying empathy, displaying compassion are not usually synonymous with driving financial results. Are you picking up that there's a tension that leaders are trying to trying to kind of uh, wrestle with here in terms of trying to display empathy and trying to to lead in this way, but also getting so hammered about meeting those results that we actually just can't practice that level of empathy or compassion? So, so Karen, I think you you sit in with two camps here. So, you know, if you look at the the development of people and leaders over the last two years, you know, some people have gone through a massive um, learning curve to to cope with the dynamics of the pandemic and to be able to build the new muscles that they needed to to help. So exactly what Caroline said, you know, more empathy, your ability to um, resonate with people, be vulnerable at the same time. That was an uncomfortable space for a lot of people. So I think a lot of leaders, what they did was they they grew that skill, but almost um, because they had to. And the minute we started to see an exit from the pandemic, some old behaviors started to rear its head again. And what has happened as a consequence of that is that uh, people in organizations are not responding well to that because they've seen another side and another opportunity to be able to do and be 
different in the workplace. So this um, activism from employees, as, as Caroline and Sarah have mentioned, has become a, a big voice. And so I suppose you catch leaders um, being caught between a rock and a hard place at the moment. They think, okay, we exit in the pandemic, we can take the brakes off slightly and put you know, our pedal onto different levers that we need to to get to get us through and out of the pandemic. And and that and that's creating a huge amount of tension. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got people who have made that shift quite successfully and done really well and are, are not able to almost hold the hat of profitability at, at the expense of everything else anymore. And, and what I'm seeing is that leaders in those types of organizations are really the ones that are going to lead out of the pandemic. And so so you sit with these these two these two extremes really on this continuum and 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 and, and everything in between. And I think that the, the other thing is that through the pandemic, people have been exposed to so much change. And when you now try and layer it with other things like the potential of a war, um, people just don't have the steam to be able to to add that on to what is already a very uh, stressful time. People are full up and their reserves um, and grit to be able to continue to grow, develop, change, be flexible um, is, is, is running low. And so even from an emotional intelligence perspective, um, People are, are low on reserves, and I think that's why we start mm. to see um, people questioning really their worth in organizations, whether they want to be in organizations. But it's actually not about the organizations. It's actually about them and their individual journey over the, the last two to two and a half years. So if I can pick up on that too, the um, what, Paolo, that notion of uh, we, do, we can't be more agile, we can't be more flexible, we're out of reserves. I think that's where we can really support our leaders in growing their capacity to work with complexity on an ongoing basis. So the real future skill that was reported pre-pandemic by Deloitte and the big firms that were doing research saying what leadership really needs to be able to build the capacity to live with ambiguity, tolerance, um, and uncertainty. And I think that's where we still yearn for an ending to a change and a and a reprieve before the next change comes. But our world has uh, demonstrated it will not be like that. Um, and I wonder if we can't support our leaders more in actually building that muscle. So how do I adjust to different contexts as they emerge? And the skill of sense-making. So how do I understand and scan what's happening and interpret and make meaning of that for my organization and my team and make some choices in how to respond um, on an ongoing basis so that it doesn't drain us or make us feel exhausted or that we just have no more reserves to work with. And that that future focus skill um, can, as through as we've been trying to do with organizations with agile teams and re-looking at how can we help the whole organization be more flexible? So I wonder if we can't support rather than an either or, a both and. So how can you have results with compassion? How can that purpose be central to your strategy? So working with um, 
an organization like the VNA Waterfront that has shared value as core to their strategy is so enlightening, but they have results to achieve. It's a business, but at the same time are finding through their value chain ways to um, grow employment, grow small business, support the food chain through their markets, through the Workshop 17, through the relationship in the oceans um, and the shipping industry. So I like to see how we can shift to building that capacity of a both and of a living with the complexity, the skills of sense making and adjusting. So there will be times where in a crisis, we want leaders to be firm and directive as well, um, but at the same time, bring their team and organization along with them. Thank you, Sarah. I think we're reaching the the end of the recording time, but I think we've we've left with you know answering some questions and and really highlighting some key areas for for further discussion. And I think perhaps uh, the next session that we record together, we could maybe focus on some of those strategies that organisations can use and look at some of the success stories of where they are actually getting that right. But I have really enjoyed the conversation and enjoyed my time with each of you today. Uh, just in closing, maybe just a, a final thought that you want to leave our listeners with today. Uh, Paolo, I'll start with you. Thank you, Karen, and thanks for the, the engagement today. So, so for me, it's, um, you know, helping our leaders to almost surface um, the conversations that need to happen at the moment. And that means to almost re-engage in a way that we did um, at the beginning of the pandemic. But we're doing it in a way that is, um, I guess, more culturally aligned to the organization and how we have shifted and changed during that time. We need reflective pieces um, to be able to help us um, increase our reserves to be able to deal with the complexity and the changes that we currently face. And so we need to we need to put our energy into that uh, to be able to help people and navigate this next phase of whatever the world um, dishes out to us. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Karen. And I'm going to um, absolutely confirm what Paolo has said. I I really do believe what he says is very, very wise, and I think organizations do need that. Um, the other thing that I think is uh, needed by organizations is something a little bit more um, personal on a leadership level. I think leaders need to be encouraged to connect more deeply with themselves. Um, so, you know, a lot of inner reflection. Um, who am I? Why am I doing this? How am I feeling? Um, what is my body telling me about my current ways of working and how does this possibly translate into how I lead um, others and possibly how does this even translate into how they could be feeling? I think when there's the realization of what we are currently experiencing at a very felt level, that's when our has happen. Because at the moment, I think a lot of what we are seeing in organizations is cognitive. We're doing what we think we know we need, but we're not really feeling where we are at. And so I think if we can get people to really experience their emotions, what they're feeling, feeling that overwhelm, feeling that exhaustion, uh, it changes the nature of the conversations quite significantly. And then, as Sarah mentioned earlier as well, we need to look at this world of complexity. How do we build that resilience? So. 
you know, from a well-being perspective, what are the things that we can do to re to refill our cups that will give us the energy and the sustenance to be able to tackle this new world that we face? So those are some of the conversations that I would like to see happening. They're not always the most comfortable conversations. If you talk to executives about how are you feeling, a lot of them shy away from the conversation. But I'm definitely starting to see that it's becoming a more needed conversation and a more normalized conversation when they feel comfortable to talk about it. I think it speaks to that vulnerability that um, that uh, we saw with Zelensky. Fantastic. Thank you, Caroline. And Sarah, just ending with you today. So I thought um, I'd bring in a, an anecdote. So part of um, part of my well-being and stretching my learning was to take up a new hobby of boogie boarding. I live in Cape Town. So every Friday, a women's group goes boogie boarding. But I've decided my boogie board teacher is actually the wisest man. So he says, <laughs> the waves will keep coming and you decide how much energy you're going to put into which wave. And then he says, when the wave comes and you catch it, just be open-hearted to where it'll take you. And I thought that was just so wise. So that's really my wish for all of us, is to decide which waves we pick and to be open-minded and open-hearted to riding it. <laughs> that's a fantastic anecdote to end off on. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate your time. And just looking forward to our next session together. Wonderful. Thank Looking you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Sarah.